Hello, hello. Okay. Yeah, not uh, So today I was um, given the opportunity to come and do a sermon for you guys. Um, so this is my first sermon I've ever preached. So good talk on Yeah, So I'm gonna mainly be speaking in um, um, English. And so, um, yeah, a little bit about me just before we begin for some of you guys. Uh, yeah, I grew up in this church, so we are na yeng tu tu lo So um, I'm the second oldest, and so uh, I also just recently graduated from Crown, if you guys didn't know, with my undergrad in Bible and theology. And currently, right now, I'm finishing my uh, master's in Christian studies. And because Sufu and Kong's father-in-law funerals today, Sufu Kevin asked me to preach for today because he's uh, currently over there as well, supporting them. And so I just want to say that um, I am nowhere near to be worthy to be standing up here uh, giving the word today, but I'm extremely honored and humbled to give the word for you guys today. If I misspeak or mispronounce, um, especially in Hmong, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, just come talk to me after and hopefully I can correct that. And I'm also not an extrovert, so I'm really surprised that a lot of you guys are here today. I was hoping that since the and them weren't going to be here, less of you guys would be here. <laughs> and um, I'm also very surprised, too, because I have some friends from Stevens Point that are here today to uh, come and encourage me. I was surprised by that. I did not know that they would show up today. And so, yeah, so for today... Um, I thank God for allowing me to just be his vessel to give his word today um, and for me to just give it um, as faithfully as I can. Um, today I will be preaching from Ephesians 6.24, uh, which actually traces back to Deuteronomy 6.4-9, so I will be kind of preaching a little bit from both of those. And so I will be focusing on, on those passages to highlight the importance of um, family ministry, which is the topic for today that I've chosen to do. Um, and I'll be sharing some uh, surprising statistics between parenting and their impact on children coming to Christ and some small steps forward that we can take as a church to uh, begin implementing family ministry. And so before we begin, I'm just going to pray for us. So can we all just bow our heads, close our eyes? Father, I just thank you for today, for the for your grace, for your mercy, your goodness and your beauty through Christ. Because of your Son, we gather here today. As your child, I ask that you continue to bless those who are here today and those who are at home watching. I pray that you continue to be with Sufu and their family in La Crosse at the Father's funeral. I pray that you speak through me today with your words of truth that the text you have placed on my heart today for on my heart today and that it may speak to the church today. That your Holy Spirit may open our ears, our hearts, our soul and spirit to you, that your truth may transform our lives and perspective. Amen. And so the passage I'm going to be reading first from is uh, Ephesians six, one through four. So if you guys have your Bibles, you guys can also turn to that, or if you don't, you can just look up there. And so before we actually begin, I, I kind of wanted to just highlight the historical context and or the background. And so this is a huge thing we uh, worked on at Crown, just understanding the context of whatever we were studying. And the reason why is because it helps us better understand as a reader helps us better understand as a reader exactly what, when, why, and who, at the, the who aspects of the text and its purpose for why it was written. If we neglect the context or the background, then we will very likely misunderstand, misinterpret, and misread the, into the text with our own agenda instead of allowing the text to speak in its original light or meaning. 
If we seek to be more accurate in our understanding and theology of God or the Bible, then better understanding the context or the background will help us come closer to understanding God's truth. However, this cannot be possibly done without the help of the Holy Spirit. He is the one that reveals that truth to us, which is stated in John 14. I wouldn't even go as far as to say that he is the one that makes it possible to have a spiritual relationship with Christ as he is the regenerating agent or the one that makes the connection to God possible by connecting us to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so for the historical background on Ephesians, the who, in terms of who wrote the, the book, um, the author is uh, Paul, and Ephesians is an epistle, one of his letters. And as, much, and as most of you guys know, Paul uh, once persecuted the Jews who worshipped Christ. And so Paul was also very knowledgeable in the Old Testament, and so at the time he did not realize what he was doing was actually going against God. And did you know that Paul did not change his name um, from Saul to Paul, but was called his Latin name Paul sometime after his conversion, which took place after his divine intervention on the road to Damascus? According to Acts 18 and 19, Paul had spent some time in Ephesus after his second missionary journey, and for more than two years on his third missionary journey, he was ministering to the church at Ephesus. It's not specific if it was one church or multiple churches. And so where did Paul write this, these letters from? Um, he wrote the letters to the church in to Ephesus around 60 to 61 AD. It is not clear if he was writing to specific church, like I stated, or in general. He also wrote Colossians and Philemon around this time. It was also at this time he was undergoing his first imprisonment in Rome. So therefore, Ephesians was actually one of the four prison epistles. And what was Paul writing about in this letter? And so in this letter, in relation to Paul's other letters, Ephesians is um, totally different. It's on the opposite spectrum as it deals with the core lifestyle of what it takes to live as a Christian. So why, why did he write this? Ephesians can be seen as being divided into two parts, in which the first part speaks about applying biblical truth that makes the second part, which speaks about the action and the lifestyle of a Christian possible. In other words, the reason it was written was to check up on, on the church to encourage them how to think and grow as people of Christ. And the quick historical context for Deuteronomy is that during the time Moses had just taken the Israelites out of Egypt and the people finally got experience, the, the people finally got to experience freedom for the first time um, in the 400 years that they were there. Um, and so they were slaves to the Egyptians during that time. And so um, they, after coming out of Egypt, they wandered in the wilderness, uh, defeating different kings and protecting themselves. Uh, and they were given the laws of God through Moses that God gave to them um, for the Israelites. Understand, because God saved the Israelites from being slaves for their entire lives, they were now God's people. They now have become his property. And so they were now returned back to him. And so Ephesians 1, uh, 6, 1 to 4, we can start reading. If you guys have your Bibles, you guys can follow along or just follow along with my PowerPoint. And so what I'm going to try um, to do is I'm going to read it in English first, and then I'm going to try reading it in Hmong. Uh, I might butcher it, but I'll just try my best. <laughs> and so Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So I am Hmong does, so I'm sorry that I'm, Hmong, I'm not Hmong Lang. Um, <laughs> so I'll just try my best. Uh, so we'll be reading for episode or episode, and then Chung Do and Gai Yi Jo Plo. So it says, Jiao Min Yo, Ne Yo Chu Mong, Ne Nia Ne Zi Lu, Tia Te Li Du Ju, 
and now we're going to look at the text that Paul is actually here kind of recording back from Deuteronomy in the New Testament in the Old Testament and so Deuteronomy 6 on 49 and so it speaks Hear, O Israel, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk to them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And then for the mom, it is um, okay, guy. Chong to and guy blow the door. So it says. จอยิซาลายิงเนอติจองนองจอยอตุจูติลิงซูเทยอเปตุจูวันตุวันจูเนยอจูลูตุจูโอยอเนตุปัจจูกาเชียกาจูกาปลากาปลาอาปลาเท
And I'm, I'm very involved with the youth and the young adults. And so I thought about the next generation and in terms of who is all here, who is still coming, and who will come. And so what I realized is that um, the Hmong CMA, just from visiting other churches and from experience of talking to other pastors, uh, that the Hmong CMA, or Hapakamong, um, they don't do a very good job emphasizing family ministry. Um, from my knowledge and observance of visiting these other churches. And therefore, as I see it, family ministry is being neglected. And what that means for the future of our Christian faith is that our kids, these children in our Sunday schools, they will grow up, grow up not knowing um, who God is on a personal level, meaning that they will not have a relationship with God if they are not taught accordingly. And so the difference is that they might know about God, but they might not believe in him. And so we also know in scripture that it says that even Satan knows about God, but he is not saved because he does not believe in Christ as his Savior. So what that means for the Hmong church is that, is that we will slowly uh, begin losing our younger generation. And if we value the Christian faith, we must not neglect the children, the youth, the young adults. As many of you know, once adults begin college, um, that's when their faith is really tested in terms of being disciplined to being active in the church or going to church or being a part of a Christian community. And so with that, let's take a closer look at Ephesians 6, 1-4. And so the first verse says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy life, long life on earth. So here are verses 1. Obey your parents in the Lord. The key word here is in the Lord. Okay, so the text simply means to honor your parents in obedience to the Lord. The standard here, the standard here is in relation to honoring God and bringing Him glory. As stated in verse 2, this fifth commandment is a commandment with a promise, upholding this commandment. According to verse 3 states that, so that you may enjoy a long life on earth. And so what I am finding, um, especially for the youth, uh, for the young adults that I engage with, is that there are times when they struggle between choosing to honor their parents or to honor God. And when it comes to, when that, when it comes to specific situations, I would agree that if a child honors their parents, they honor God. However, I would also say that if the parent is ch- telling the child or their, their children to to sin against God or to commit acts of flesh against God, then I would say that the child is not honoring God by not honoring their parents' request, by, by honoring their parents' request, which is against God's will. So some examples may include a parent telling their child to, to lie or if someone hits them, to hit them back, uh, to say bad words against them, to steal, to worship other idols, depending if the parent if one of the parents aren't a Christian or not, to do anything against Christian morals which are stated in the commandments. Paul lists some of them um, in Galatians 5, um, 19, he states, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy and drunkenness. And orgies. So most of these situations um, tie into sin, and in most cases, it becomes obedience against God and against what the Bible teaches, as it is not a part of holy Christian lifestyle that God desires for the Christians to live. I also understand that we are all sinners, and that it may be hard to turn away from certain sins in our lives, and that becoming sin-free like Christ will be impossible. However, born-again believers have the Holy Spirit in them, who equips them with the ability to discern in those moments if actions are God-glorifying or not. Those are the moments that they are in Christ and they have the power to choose not to sin. That is only truly possible for born-again believers. This means that born-again believers or children of God always have access to this power of Christ. However, Paul reminds us that the powers of the flesh are still very strong in Romans 7, 
he states, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I, have the, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who is doing it, but it is the sin living in me doing it that does it. So going back to the point that Paul is making, children are to honor their parents, key word, in the Lord. And when we take a look at Ephesians um, verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training <clears throat> and instruction of the Lord. So exasperate, depending on what translation you have, it, it just simply means to irritate, to frustrate, or to you know, get some, take it out on somebody else. And so here, this is also quoting from, Paul's also quoting this from Deuteronomy's, in reference to raising up children in the Lord so that they may know who He is. That this is a command from God. Therefore, when parents honor this command, they are being obedient to the Lord. When children now honor their parents, they are now honoring God. And also, uh, I also wanted to share some statistics um, that parents have. I have a couple of slides that just kind of shows what it is. And so, according to um, the Washington Times, uh, sociologists say that it's common for the people to perceive that God is like their fatherly figure in their lives. If the father is caring, patient, and concerned, then the children would believe that God has those same characteristics. And the opposite holds true when the father is harsh, judgmental, or absent. And for me, for a long time, like I've always wondered why certain certain kids are just you know very naughty or certain people are just very mean without really realizing like why they were that way, and so it was over time just especially when I realized like going to Crown was that the reason why these people are like this is because you know they don't have a father figure in their house, and if they don't have a father figure for them they will see they will see it like if my own dad doesn't care about me. Why would God the Father care about me? And it's very personal to them. And so most often when fathers are tender, loving and compassionate, it lends itself to believing that God is this way too. Likewise, if the father was abusive or absent or physical, or physically or emotionally, and the, and the adult child may believe that God has the same nature as well. And so what this means is that they're not going to you know, come to know God. They're not going to choose to follow God because they had such a bad experience with their father in life that they're, they're not going to come close to who God is because they don't know who He is. And for them, they, they wouldn't care because their own father doesn't care about them. And I, I talked a little, I shared a little bit about this too um, at men's camp in terms of the importance of the father role within the household. Um, and so for the fathers, right, if we desire for our children to know who God is, right, and, but we don't live that out at home, how are, are, how are our children going to also value who God is, who Christ is, right? Because if their God isn't, or if their father at home isn't you know, talking about God or teaching them about God, reading the Bible, they're going to, for them, they're going to say like, oh, well, since my dad doesn't do that stuff, I don't need to do it either. And that's why I found some of these just surprising statistics of, of what it looks like within the real world when th things like that happen. So according to the data collected by Promise Keepers and Baptist Press, if a father does not go to church, even if his wife does, only one child and about 50 will become a regular worshiper. If a father does not go regularly, regardless of what the mother does, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will attend the church as adults. 
If fathers attend church irregularly, between half and two-thirds of their kids will attend church with some regularity as adults. If a mother does not go to church, but a father does, a minimal of two-thirds of the children will end up attending church. And in contrast, if a father does not go to church, but the mother does, on average, two-thirds of the children will not attend church. And when both parents attend Bible studies in addition to Sunday service, 72% of their children attend Sunday school when growing. When only the father attends Sunday school, 55% of the children attend when they're grown. And when only the mother attends Sunday school, 15% of the children attend when they're grown. So when neither parents attend Sunday school, only 6% of the children attend when they're grown up. And another survey found that if a child is in the first, is the first person in the household to become a Christian, there is a three and a half percent probability that everyone else in the household will follow. And if a mother is the first to become a Christian, there is a 17 percent probability that everyone else in the household will follow. However, when the father is the first, there is a 93 percent probability everyone else in the household will follow. And that is extremely crucial. You know, that's why when we look at Scripture, often it mentions about Father, and this is what your role is, right? And so if we, as a church, our fathers, right, if we are neglecting this role, we are neglecting a huge aspect of what Christ commands us to do, how God wants us to live, how we are to reach other people, especially our children. And so for me, I remember growing up in youth, I would always see so many people, right? And then all these other youth leaders that I always looked up to, you know, I always looked up to them, and like, they, they really made my experience in youth um, very memorable. But however, when I look back now today, right, I, I see that a lot of them are gone. And you know, that hurts me a lot, because I never really knew why they're gone. I still don't know why some of them are not here. You know, obviously I know that um, sometimes we just get distracted in life. Sometimes we just uh, follow the world instead of Christ, you know. And one thing that I want to do um, now that I'm home for the youth is to really help them understand and question, you know, why do you love Jesus? Why do you want to follow Christ? Because we can always say that we love Jesus in the church, that we follow Christ. But when we go into the real world, right, there's other people and depending on how we are as a person, right? If we are a follower or if we're a leader, it depends on how our outlook will be like. And so what I realize is that oftentimes the people that we are with, that's who we become, right? And so if we are not with Christians, right, and we're with people that don't know about God, that's, that's who we become. You know, we forget about God too. We soon do start questioning, like, why did I even believe in God in the first place? How do I know that the Bible is even true now? Because you've been with these people who believe that and who don't know. And to me, you know, I see that it's, it's sad to see that, you know, we have kids that grow up in the church and then, you know, they throw that all away and follow the world instead. And so for me, that's, um, for me, that was a big conviction too, to just see that when I came back. And so I'm very honored to, you know, be back and to just, get to see everyone again, get to see all the new kids and faces and youth. You know, hopefully um, their generation is different than mine. Hopefully something can happen to you know, prevent that from taking place or slow it down. And so, yeah, going back to what I'm preaching about, the topic of family is, the family ministry is not taking place. The question to ponder is one about being born again, being a born again Christian. And so what is, I keep saying born-again Christian, so what is the difference between that, um, between a born-again Christian and a Christian? Um, it's simply, uh, for me, how I understand it is that today the term Christian, right, it no longer seems to hold value or, or its full original meaning, as many people today claim to be Christians, but their lifestyle does not reflect that. Therefore, it seems to have different meanings to different people because of the context of the world that we live in, right? Especially in America, where it's a very individualistic 
culture. And so whereas it's all about you know, me, yourself, right? When the Bible teaches that it's not about you, it's, it's all about Christ, it's all about God. So I believe that you know, by saying born again, I just want to be a bit more accurate to make sure that what I'm talking about is I'm talking about you know, true Christians who truly believe in God, who truly follow Christ. To, to hopefully just, you know, I just want to clarify and differentiate the two because of the context we live in today. And so with that, people back, on, in, back in time when you know, Scripture was still being recorded, when it was still being written down, um, and, and around when Christ you know, already resurrected, everyone knew that being called a Christian differentiated them from other groups and other religions. And what this means is that if you were a Christian, you would publicly claimed, uh, you publicly claimed that and followed God, the God of Israel, and all the other communities and groups, and all the other communities and groups could identify you accordingly to your belief. And today, there are a lot of misconceptions of, you know, being a true Christian. And I just want to list some examples that just came to mind from my own experience of what I see. Um, and so, if one is, you know, one would be. That there is never, there is not a thing as you know going to church once a year to prove that you're a Christian, or even you know having a church membership to prove that you're a Christian. Another one is if a father, if if a father, or in reference to you, if your father, your mother, you know your brother, your sister, your uncle, grandma, grandpa, you know if if they're a Christian, that does not make you also a Christian. That's not how it works, according to what Scripture teaches. The Christian faith is a faith that one, you know, must claim for themselves individually between them and God, and only God and them know if they are saved or not. And we can, as as a community of believers, right? We can still affirm them um, if they're believers by looking at their fruits, right? Fruits of the spirit, in terms of how is their lifestyle, you know, after claiming that they believe in Christ, right? Yeah, another aspect of um, to being a Christian for many people that they do not understand is, you know, not just accepting Christ as their Savior, but also as their Lord. And so what does it mean to accept Him as your Lord, right? Because I think this is one of the hardest steps for a lot of us, especially if we don't uh, fully understand what that means and what that looks like. And so when we think about it, you know, when we look at it, we have to see it like in the context or understanding of a kingship or a kingdom, right? So if Christ is our king, right, how are we as the, the people, how are we going to honor him, right? And what does, he, what does he expect us to do, right? So normally a king, they would tax their people, right? But in return, they would um, protect them and they would also recruit their own people to be soldiers uh, to protect the kingdom from invaders and outsiders. They're also... But the kings also seek to, to be praised by their people, right? And it means to, so what it means to accepting Christ as your Lord is that it means to surrender and give up all that you have for Him, whatever desire, for whatever desire He chooses to use it for. Even if, it, if it, it's you giving up your own life to protect His. And so for today, this could consist of, you know, giving up time, giving up money, giving up energy personal belongings, people in your life, or even your own life, your heartaches, your brokenness, and your sins. But the difference here is that our Lord is not just our Lord, but our Savior, right? So, meaning that He also died for us. And so He is not asking us, you know, to die for Him, but to live for Him. And by living for Him, like Scripture says, right, those who persecuted me will also persecute you. And so for me, when I think about it, I think the hardest thing to do in life is to be a Christian because, especially in this context today, it's very countercultural. And everything you do, you know, the world will judge you. And so I know that for me growing up, and I know a lot of the youth kids, um, that sometimes it's, it's hard to, you know, confess our faith when we're in a public um, when we're in the public, such like at school or anything, it's hard to show that we're Christians because, you know, we're scared of being judged. We're scared of 
people you know, saying bad things about us. You know, some people may even make fun of us. And you know, that hurts. And you know, what I remind them when they tell me things like that, I just remind them that we as Christians, even though they're, in a sense, you know, bullying, bullying us, we have to show them grace because they don't know who God is. They don't know how good He is. Right? And so it's because they don't know better, that's why they make fun of you, that's why they're mean to you. And so for us as Christians, right, you know, Christ does not teach us to oh, make fun of them back or hit them back. No, He says that to you know, show grace, to show mercy, to show love to those people because they are broken people, you know, just as broken as you. And so, and, and you know, to, to remind you too that you, we, everyone here, we're still all sinners, right? And so for us, we are just very fortunate to uh, grow up knowing about God, to grow up in the church, to, to grow up coming to know God. So we're all very fortunate that God has blessed us with that. And so going back um, to what I'm saying is that if you don't see Him as your Savior, to begin with, if you don't see Christ as your Savior, um, then you place them in a position similar to... Um, um, my bad. I mean, if you don't see Him as your Lord, right, then you have placed them in a position similar to what I like to just refer to as life insurance which is, you know, you do the minimum requirement to ensure that you can have a safety net or something to fall on if something goes wrong. For example, you know, giving your 10%, then believing that you are covered, that you are saved, that you are exempt from doing anything else for God. Because as long as you're saved, that's all you need to know. Others are coming to church once a year or once a month, once a week, maybe at best two to three hours out of your week. You give to Him to fellowship with other believers. It's crazy how we only you know, give God that much time. Because two out of three hours, that's out of 168 total hours in a week that we give to, or that we dedicate to God. And uh, I, for me, I'm trying to speak from a perspective of not assuming that you guys are also doing your own things at home. I'm just kind of speaking as from experience of what I see and from talking to other people. But aside from that, um, you do not bother to grow in your relationship when you don't see Him as your Lord, right? Because you don't fear Him. You don't desire to know more than that you're, you're okay, that you're saved. You don't desire to give Him everything that you have, that you own and that you work for, you know? And this is why when, when we look around, right, when we, especially, you know, the Green Bay Mung Alliance Church and other churches in general, we look and we see that, you know, nobody wants to do ministry. Nobody wants to take on any ministry positions. That means that there's something wrong here, something wrong with the church. Not the building, but the people. And so we have to realize that we need to stop making excuses to God. For example, when your children are on their phone, right, on their devices, and you tell them to get off, but they give you an excuse and they don't get off, right? You know, how does that make you feel? You know, that's exactly how our Father feels when we don't you know, see Him as our Lord, when we don't listen to Him, when we don't follow what He commands us to do. And the reason is, why does, why does God feel like that? When we look back at the second commandment, you know, you know, our God is a jealous God. So therefore, He asks and desires us for not to worship other false gods. And so moving forward, um, looking beyond family ministry now, right? If we cannot fulfill our duties as a Christian in our household, how can we expect to fulfill the duties in the church? In the church, not just the building, but as a body of believers. So how can we do ministry outside of our home when we can't even do it inside of our homes? You see, when we trace back to why we are struggling um, to be intentional with our ministries, whether that's men's, women's, Sam's youth, or even children's, we are forgetting, I, I see it as if we are forgetting about the fundamentals of the Christian faith. The first, ultimately, being our relationship with Christ. And this is the most crucial aspect of being a Christian, because if you do not have a relationship with God, then family ministry will be impossible. You see, everything you do flows out from how your relationship with 
is with Christ. So the way you walk, the, the things you do, how you carry yourself, if you are not actively and intentionally building your relationship with Christ, you will begin to desire the things of this world. You will easily become distracted by the things of this world, and slowly over time, you know, people just disappear, people just are too busy, people are doing other things. And some of the examples, you know, we, that we desire is, you know, pursuing money, pursuing nice cars, a nice house, having nice things in the house, nice phones, laptops, etc. Things that bring us satisfaction because Christ, you know, He wasn't enough for us. We, we never understood and saw Him as our Lord. And because of that, we never feared Him. And because we never feared Him, we never come to understand and truly acknowledge that He, he was enough for us, that we were truly fulfilled. So practically, how does family ministry look like? Um, so for me, my example, or for how I see it, if we desire to grow as a church, right, as a, as a church of Christ, so not as a building, but as a body of believer, family ministry is a very crucial aspect of our Christian faith. For many of you who have children, if family ministry is neglected, the world will lead your kids away from Christ if you do not lead them to Christ. If Christ is not intentionally being taught in the home, then he will not be valued by the children in the home. I want to make it clear here that they will come to, come to know Christ you know, in God's timing, obviously, right? Because we are not the ones that are saving, but God is the one that is saving. However, as a parent, right, you guys and we still hold the, hold the primary responsibility to teach, to teach our own children about God. And so I used to be in Sunday school. Uh, I used to be a Sunday school teacher, and you know I would sub occasionally. I still do here and there, but once in a while, uh, for for once in a while, when a teacher is busy or they're not going to be able to make it on a Sunday, uh, for me it was it, it's always very easy to, you know, identify those who know God or know about God and those who don't. And I understand that sometimes it could be because the family's new to the faith, um, or that's you know maybe their first time coming to church. So, but to me, like when talking to my other, you know, teachers too, right? The other teachers, and hearing that when they ask their kids, right? Uh, they ask their kids if their parents, you know, talk to them about God, and they responded with, "No, they do not talk about God." What this means is that they only have one opportunity to learn about God, and that is if they even come to church on Sunday. And so we have to realize that that's huge. That usually affects how we see ministry, how we do ministry, how we believe in God. It hugely affects our church, right? Because if it's not being done at the home, and we only do it on a Sunday, right, it's not going to be effective because if you think about it, there's only so much time that we are with the kids, right? And so how can we go about doing family ministry at home? For many, it's simply reading the Bible with your kids, but... Sometimes it's not that easy. Um, for example, for those who are not as mature in their faith, they might not know where to start with their kids. They might not know how to talk to their kids or how to engage with them about God. And scripture, when you know they've never done that before or very much at all, and so for many of them, it's you know it's awkward because they never connected with the, with their kids on the spiritual level or you know even shared about their spiritual life. And so it takes more than just reading the Bible with them. It takes time and proper teaching of theology to equip them with the Word of God. And from my experience, uh, you would all be very amazed at uh, the capacity of what your kids can learn when it comes to systematic theology. Kids are always you know, curious, so they're always you know, asking a bunch of questions, right? And so it's extremely beneficial if we can teach them you know, simple theology some examples would be, you know, where did God come from? Why did Jesus die? Who is the Holy Spirit? How do you know if God, if the Bible is true? Why does God let bad things happen? Or why did my parents get a divorce? Right? Because kids, right, they receive the back end and oftentimes a huge backlash when the parents, when they're in a home and with parents that are, you know, having issues with their relationships, with one another or with other people or with God. You know, kids get all the backlash and 
that's why a lot of kids, when I, when I talk to kids, you know, they come from broken backgrounds. And it's heartbreaking to hear that they had to go through a lot of that stuff. And so when we expect a youth pastor or a youth coordinator to be the primary teacher to teach and equip our kids, you know, we will fail. When we look at scripture, there is no such thing as a youth pastor, as, at least in terms of the title of being um, in the Bible. When we look at scripture, it clearly states, as from quoting from Deuteronomy 6, right, that these are the commands, decrees, the laws of the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. Love your Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk to them about talk to them about it when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Right? So obviously our time, our context is different from them, right? But you can also see it that we also live in a time where, you know, there are especially a culture that is very um, counterculture to the Bible, right? That everything they teach or seek is not correlating or does not connect to the Bible, does not glorify God. We still live in that context today. It's just, it's different, a different culture. And so, this is why fathers, you know, they have a huge responsibility. However, it is possible, and depending on what translation you're reading from, the word, when I speak about in the Bible, when it speaks about fathers, it may be interchangeable with uh, parents. So, for, like, for example, when Scripture speaks about man, right, oftentimes it's not just speaking about man or men, but also for humanity, for all mankind as a whole, which then includes women, right? So, however, but however, that's not always the case. And so, getting back to the point, parents, Scripture clearly speaks of the responsibilities that you have in raising up your children in the Lord. So if you have kids who are growing up that are in high school or that are becoming young adults and they have a tendency to not listen to you and then you complain to the pastor or other adults and say, that, my kids, they don't listen to me. Can you tell me why? Can you help me? Right? Have you ever wondered for a moment that and realized for the past, just for example, 15, 20, however old they are, right? That they have been separated from you their, their entire life in terms of that personal life and knowing them on a personal level. And for example, you leave them at youth with the youth pastor or coordinator and expect them to do all the work to teach them and to equip them. You never engage with them about their daily life at school or at work or how they're feeling. The culture we live in today is very sensitive, like Sifu Kevin said at men's camp. So I know that for a lot of our parents, that's it's different for how they grew up, so they might not you know, fully understand the culture and the context we grew up in. And it's different, right? So for them, they've been doing what they've been taught and learned for you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, however old they are. And so for them to now try to change that, it's, it's going to be hard. And so you have to ask yourself, how much of your time at home do you invest into your children or to your kids? Some of you may not even see your kids because if they are busy with school or school activities or work, or if you see them, it is only when you take them to school or to work or when you just bring them to church on Sundays. And I'm sure that many of you guys heard about the direction that Habalgamong is moving towards if you went to the annual conference or if you tuned in onto the live conference this past summer. So there... They're moving towards next gen. And so I think for me, how I see it is that they're not getting rid of getting rid of everything else, right? They're just they're just acknowledging that this is an area in ministry that we are neglecting. And they're just what they're doing is they're just showing a spotlight of right onto our next generation because they're realizing that, you know, our churches 
we're not growing. Our church's numbers are not growing from you know, church planting, but our church numbers are growing from church splits. Right? So on paper, that looks good, but in reality, we're not growing at all. And even though we're, as a, for an ethnic, uh, the ethnic side of the uh, CMA, Christian Missionary Alliance, although we're the biggest, we're not necessarily you know, growing because we're just growing, our numbers are just going up from church splits. And when I went to Crown, you know, I visited a lot of different churches, and it's like, man, why is there like a Hmong church like five, ten minutes away from like a different Hmong church, right? Or like, why are these churches like splits from these other churches? And so, for me, I don't understand, fully understand the history of what they went through. I just, to me, it's just, I'm just sad because, um, like, I think that makes God sad when he sees his people fighting and his people not getting along, right? Especially if we're Christians, right? If we represent God and we are like that, the world, they're going to see that, oh, well, these Christians, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. You know, why do they even go to church? Why do they even do what they do when what they're doing it doesn't seem like it's right? And so oftentimes, we just we also have to understand that we don't fully understand the, what happened to their churches or what took place. But I can say for sure a lot of it ties back to sin. And so that's why as a body of believers, we need to be able to repent. We need to be able to forgive one another. We need to be able to love one another and so that we don't break off from one another. And I'm not saying that we need to be a megachurch because a megachurch isn't very biblical. If we look at scripture, you know, there was never really huge... There, obviously, there are times when a lot of people will come to believe, but not really like churches that would be like thousands of people there. And then for Paul, we look at Paul and church planting, right? He didn't stay there very long. He was always moving and always you know, spreading the gospel. And so, although I do not fully understand what next gen may look like, I believe that if we are seeking to be intentional with being successful and raising up the next generation, then you guys, you the parents, right, or we as the parents, or the older people, we play a huge role, a crucial role in raising up children in Christ. The reason being that this is not more important than the Great Commission or growing church in numbers. However, I believe that it is being neglected by the monk churches. And therefore, if we address, um, therefore, it must be addressed if we seek to preserve and continue mo- moving forward in the Christian faith. And so, practically, for Green Bay Hmong Alliance Church, right? So, what does this mean? For how I see it is that for this coming year, what it, what it could look like, uh, what next gen could look like is that when we ever, when, when there's any events or any ministries that take place, you know, I highly encourage you parents to also be involved, to also be a part of the next-gen ministry by participating with your kids and your youth. So, for example, if there's a Bible study or if there is a hangout or if there's a church ministry event like a worship night, right? You know, parents, you guys also should stay um, with them, right, to do the Bible study, to participate, to see how they're engaging with one another. Because that's that's probably going to be the best time for you as parents to engage with your kids, um, especially on a spiritual level because of the environment that we're in, right? Yeah, and so if there's a next-gen service, you know, that takes place after the main service, right? You parents, you guys should also stay as well because if you think about it, right, if, if you're asking why you have to stay, like, to, to, for the kids, right? If they're wondering and they're asking you, asking their parents, like, why do I have to stay for another service? Like, I just was there for the main service. And then so for you as a parent, right? So why do you expect your child to stay for another service when you don't even want to stay for another service? If you are unwilling, right, then your kids will be unwilling. So do not force them if you are not forcing yourself to stay to be a part of the church. So what this means is that for our Sundays, right, if that is the only day that most of us or if all of us are at church, right, then for next coming years, right, we should expect to spend our whole Sundays at church, whether that's, you know, 
doing fellowship, doing other things together as a body of believers. And why, why do you, for example, why, why should we do that, right? Or why do we need to do that? Because when we look at Scripture, right, when we look at what the church was in, in Scripture, such as in Acts 2, 46, it states that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, right? So what that means is that they lived together every single day. And I know that it's probably different for our context and our time, but we still, as a body of believers, we should still value time with other believers, with other followers, right? And I know that our Hmong culture, sometimes we're very prideful, and you know sometimes we don't like certain people, but we have to remember, if we truly follow Christ, right, then we have to forgive because what scripture taught, or like what Sufu Billy taught when he was here, right? If, if you, you must forgive like how, your, how Christ has forgiven you, right? Because if you don't, then he will not forgive you as well. And so this is just one example of how the church lived as a church. So if we claim to be a Christian or a Christ follower, specifically a born-again Christian, right? Then the most joy and the most um, that we can seek and experience with Christ is as one body of Christ, so meaning that's with other believers. And so can Green Bay Hmong Alliance say that they know God, that they love God up in the science here, that they uh, seek God, but yet neglect teaching their children to know God, to love God, to serve God, or to seek God? You know, we, have to, we have to sometimes think about that, too, and take that to heart. Question what we're doing here at Green Bay Mall Lines, what we're doing on Sundays here, right? Like, how is that helping the church? How is that helping the body of believers grow? What are we doing to grow in our ministries, in our fellowship, in our time here at church with one another? And so for a conclu- in conclusion, uh, I'm just going to talk about the three main points. So I, you know, I talked about children are to obey their parents. But the key word is in the Lord, right? Therefore, it is the parent's responsibility to raise them up accordingly in the Lord. And statistically, you know, second point that I made was fathers have a larger impact on their children learning and knowing and becoming Christians. But nevertheless, the chances of your children coming to, to the Lord are drastically reduced if the father does not take responsibility to teach and raise their children in the Lord. And thirdly, the family ministry begins with having a relationship with Christ in which you carry your cross daily to follow Him because He is not only your Savior, but also your Lord. And therefore, you also carry the responsibility to raise your children up in training and instruction of the Lord. And so let's all stand and pray. I'm going to pray for us to end. Father, we just want to thank you for allowing us to gather here today. Even though our pastors are not here with us, thank you, I just want to thank you for the faithfulness of our congregation here at Green Bay Mung Alliance, for those who still came to hear your word, to hear your truth, to experience your love. And we pray that your spirit transforms our hearts and leads us into a deeper understanding of your truth so that what we learned or heard today may begin impacting the next generation. We pray that you may guide, help guide us, help teach us, and help lead us as we lead our children into you and in your ways so that they may know you, so that they may love you, so that they may serve you with their lives as they grow older. Again, we thank you for your son dying on the cross for our sins. Father, we pray that you may Convict us of our sins and that we may turn to you and repent, for, the, for your kingdom is near. That we can glorify you in all that we do. We pray that you protect us from the evil one wherever we go. We pray that you continue to watch over us as we leave this place and to keep us safe. And we thank you for your profound truth that was spoken today. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.